Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator. And I'm Elliot Bruce and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way. So, whether you know your red lines from your red shifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam or fake accounts. So, Rob. Today we're talking about neutron stars and pulsars. Yes, we are. How exciting. So, why don't you start us off by telling us what exactly is a neutron star? Does it just do what it says on the tin? Uh, Yeah, kind of. So, they are, if you think of a massive, you know, supergiant star that's gone supernova. Okay. And then you're left with... A collapsed core of a star, and some other stuff, but we only care about that. Okay. The the collapsed core is a neutron star. Um, so the stars that we're talking about before they go supernova are about ten to twenty five times the the mass of the sun. Oh. So very okay. big stars. Yeah. Um, and then as they collapse conservation of angular momentum makes them spin very quickly okay because again it's getting smaller it's getting smaller. so it's having to speed up so if you think of you know like um an ice skater the classic example yeah if they are spinning around mm-hmm. and then they pull their arms in towards themselves they start to spin faster yes that's very sort of winter olympics yeah yeah the figure skating people or what what i was thinking of was slightly less elegant of you're spinning around on an office chair and then you pull your hands in yeah and you speed up put them out you You slow slow down down, yeah less elegant but more perhaps uh, tangible to most people's life experiences (laughs) Uh, figure skaters might disagree but uh yeah Uh, or, or now they have these things in in parks which i don't remember we had as we were kids but now that i visit parks again with a mm. toddler um they have a similar thing it's like this weird this weird thing that you stand on and it spins round, and you kind of like hold on to it and then you have to like pull yourself in towards oh, it oh yes to yes speed up yeah. yeah conservation of angular momentum right yeah so that happens uh and the star collapses and it starts to spin very, very quickly. So, yeah, um, they're made mostly of neutrons. Okay, makes so sense. So they're called neutron, neutron stars. stars. Um, and they're incredibly dense. How dense are we they're talking They're the most 
dense stellar object in the universe. So, you know, excluding black holes. And, right. Uh, and some other theoretical objects. They're incredibly dense. So when you say a stellar object, is that like kind of like a star but not a star? Or is that like it's a star? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's me just covering my back. Okay. So, you know, um, we might say a neutron star is a star. We've given it that in its name. Yeah, that but, helps. But in other senses, you know, it's it's not really... It's not a full star. Mm-hmm. It's uh, because it's the collapsed middle bit of a star, mm. if you see what I mean. Yes. So, yeah. so a stellar object is a term that I, and I'm sure many other people, would use to describe things that are stars in a broad sense. Yeah, okay, stars and star-adjacent objects, yes. as it were. So, you know, that could yeah. include the sun, um, a neutron star, brown dwarf, mm. you might have some. You know, debate about whether or not that's a star, but it's a stellar object for sure. So is a black hole a stellar object? Because, you know, if it's like um, the core of a star that's exploded or whatever that turns into a neutron star, isn't that kind of like how a black hole happens? Yeah, I mean, there are various different types of black hole out there in the universe, so um, I personally would probably not classify that as a okay. stellar object okay um but you talk to black hole but people if you're, if you're talking about a black hole that specifically has formed from um from a supernova which, which happens if mm. you have a, a bigger star than it's even the bigger 10 than to 25 solar masses that we just talked about right. then i suppose in some sense you could call it a stellar object i suppose Mm. Yeah. But regardless, it's pretty darn dense. So a giant but not not the biggest stars in the world in the world in the <laughs> universe. Uh but some really big stars. Um they explode, you're left with a core, the core then collapses and as it collapses it gets faster and faster and faster. Yeah. And we're just left with neutrons. Pretty much just neutrons. Pretty okay. much. So how big are these things then? Um, quite small. <laughs> right, okay. So we started with 10 to 25 solar masses. And uh, by the time, you know, it's collapsed down and you've only got the, the neutron still left, mm. we're talking about something that, you know, has like a similar mass to the sun, maybe like one point up to like 1.4 solar masses. Right. Um, but they only have a radius of about 10 kilometres. That's about six miles. 10 kilometres? Yes. Okay. That's yes. a bit smaller than the radius of the sun. Uh-huh. Um, so we've talked before about... Which is, so I think, the order of 10 to the 8 metres as opposed to 10 to the 3 here. Yes. So, yeah, we've talked about before... Uh, the sun is basically the entirety of the mass in our solar system. Yeah. And it's also massive in comparison to all of the planets. Yes. And so we're talking about a similar sort of mass to the sun, i.e. basically our solar system. Yeah. Shoved into, like, I yes. don't know, if people at home think about what's 10 kilometres away from them, 
then it's like that sort of size. I mean, um, it's not far, is it? 10K? Not that far. That's a classic run. Yeah, I mean, is a marathon 40k or something like that? I don't know. It's 26 miles, isn't it? 26 miles. I don't know what that is in kilometres. Uh, but, but a 10k, yeah. that's like a... That's a That's a, a thing that many, yeah. many people do on a daily if, um, basis. Do you, do you call it a six my? I don't know. Like, do you, I'm just going for a six my jog run, you know what I mean? If you're a more imperial person. I don't really know who. I don't know. Maybe. If anyone in the States is listening and does running <laughs> regularly, do they go for a 10 gay? Let us know. Um, <laughs> but do you regularly run the radius of a, of, <laughs> of a neutron star? Geez. If so, let us know in the comments. Jeez. All right, so that's really small. So no wonder it's dense then. Yeah. So. Yeah, so very dense. So then, you know... If you had like a matchbox, okay, filled with neutron star, okay, it'd be very heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it would be about three billion tons. Right. I don't suppose you know whether that's tons or tons. <laughs> Is it two ends? Tons, it... tons of two ends. So, so imperial tons and as opposed e. to. Ve- I mean, that's the worst one. <laughs> So I'm not sure how different they are, but yeah. Well, I don't think at <laughs> three billion it's going to be it's very heavy. much of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they are then, so it's one matchbox contains three billion, probably imperial tons of neutrons. Then. Yes, mostly. Mostly. Yeah. So. So, yeah, um, they are, to all intents and purposes, made entirely of neutrons. But in reality, they do have a little sprinkling of of other things. A tiny little crust around the outside. A garnish. Yes, of of protons and and electrons and atoms. Okay. Uh, Just a tiny garnish, but... Mostly not. Mostly neutrons. And there, there are enough of them to be important. Okay. Um. But. But we're not calling it a proton and electron star. Yeah, but there, there aren't many because most of them have, uh, have. Most of the protons and the electrons have combined together. Jeez. And formed into neutrons. When you atoms start doing that you've got issues yeah so is that like it's super high pressure so the pressure inside them obviously is immense yeah i guess three billion tons in a three billion tons per matchbox Mm. so um you know at the surface they're not under that pressure because the gravitational force isn't Mm. um they've got nothing above them you know they're just like but but once you get below that kind of surface below that crust it's mm. um pressure goes up very quickly yeah it goes a bit like so, the earth yeah we're not molten yeah exactly like but take that to the extreme yeah very extreme <laughs> okay so are there lots of neutron stars are we you know is every second star a neutron star or 
Uh, Are they quite rare yeah, events? Not, not every second star. Episode. So I think we, <laughs> we talked in a previous episode about how common certain stars are, I think. Mm. Um, and lower mass stars in general are more common. Yes. To make a neutron star, you needed to start with a big, massive mm. star. So they're not like the most common star in the universe or anything. Right. Um, but there are thought to be about one billion neutron stars in our Milky Way. Okay, in the, so okay, yeah. it's not as if there are none of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like there are an awful lot of stars in the Milky Way, and or stellar objects, and um, so they're not that common. But because there are so many of them, yeah. there are lots of them. Yeah, um, um, I think a minimum estimate for for how many there are in the Milky Way is about several hundred million. Okay, um, which has is an estimate that comes from, you know, working out the number of stars that have had to go through these supernova explosions. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, and being the right mass to start with mm. to to make a neutron star and not a black hole. So... So, like, big but not too big. Kind of Goldilocksy. Yes. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And not then... too big, but big enough. So so in the future there will be more neutron stars as well because we're kind of limited in a way, like in time. Do you know what I mean? There'll be yes, so <laughs> that is true of a lot of astronomy that we, I think it's quite normal and I find myself being caught out mm. um, by this quite a lot in you know seminars or talks at conferences or reading research papers or whatever. Mm. And I don't think I'm alone. Um, I hope I'm not alone, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think I am. That we kind of can quite naturally, as we're humans, mm. not necessarily, like, expect that the universe is constant, but, like, we kind of think that our experience of certain bits of it are kind of always the case. Like, yes. we know that the universe has evolved, but we kind of can't get our human heads around sometimes that how much that can change things, kind of. Yeah. So the distribution of masses of stars that form now is not necessarily the same yes. as at the beginning of the universe. Yes. You know, so so earlier on, if there's more matter nearby... Mm around a certain place, you're going to be able to form more massive stars, right? Yeah. And then if you think later on in the universe and everything is much further apart, mm -hmm. then you're trying to form stars, then you're not necessarily making as massive stars as you were making before. Yeah. And if you've got, if you've got stars that are forming out of the remains of previous stars, like the sun, right? Mm -hmm. then some of that mass has already disappeared in some way. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you just... Maybe not disappeared, them. mass doesn't disappear. Um, but, no, but, you know... <laughs> yeah, I know um, So... Yeah. Uh, yes, we will be making more, but presumably it's going to be more and more difficult to produce. Mm, yeah. 
Um, I mean, you know, 10 to 25 solar masses is quite, it is big, mm. but it's not completely ginormous. Yes. So it's not, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to think that they're going to be being produced for a lot longer. Um, What's also weird with the time thing, and I know this is not exactly like revelationary, we are sitting on a rock going around a star and all of the stars that we can see are varying, it's not even like different ages, it's just that there's a different amount of lag between each thing and, you know, we say like, oh, the light from that star is how many thousands of years old or whatever, but it's just sort of, it's kind of weird. It's also weird that we are sort of in the in the exact place where we are. We are unique in the universe as seeing those stars at that time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which... Yeah. Looking out into the universe in general is crazy. I think. Like you say, it kind of plays with our mind a bit. Yeah. Even when we understand something. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I find this, like, there can be a disconnect kind of between my brain and, I want to say my heart, but obviously that's not how, that's not scientific. Yeah. But kind of my feelings and my thoughts can be quite disconnected sometimes. Kind of like an intuition thing. Yeah. Or lack so, so I know, you know, I know full well that, you know, looking into space Mm. the further into space you look you're looking further back in time yeah right because if you're able to see things that are further away it's taken longer for the light to get to you therefore in that sense you're looking back in time to what that thing used to be like yeah Uh, and things that are closer to you that that effect is smaller so Mm. They're more recent. I know that, and that's not weird, and that makes complete sense. But then my feelings sometimes mm-hmm. feel like, that is wild. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, like, crazy and, like, weird. And, like, things further away are back in time. Mm. What? Uh, and they just are disconnected because it's... It, is not at all weird, right? Yeah. But then that, like, part of my brain comes back and it's like, that's not mm-hmm. weird at all. That's just how that works. That's <laughs> logic. And yeah. then my feelings are like, but that's crazy! And it's... And I... Yeah. <laughs> like, why? It's like, I feel like I have two personalities going mm-hmm. on. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing once uh, an animation type thing, animation of... Um, of Orion, the stars in Orion, like, you know, we see it, it's sort of hourglass shaped. But then this animation was then, it sort of did a sort of side view. You know, it moved right. away from the viewpoint of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And you started to see how they were related in terms of distance. You know, yes. some were much further away than others. Yeah. And then it's just kind of weird that, like, you know, when we talk about Beetlejuice exploding, mm-hmm. potentially... Um, Potentially, maybe those other stars within Orion have already seen that yes. happen, but yeah. but they all are like they're all in the same area, so it's kind of weird that they're. Yeah. I mean, it's also really not weird because yeah. that's not how 
how space works. But yeah, yeah that's another just... really good example of the the thought feeling disconnect there, because your brain, I don't know, you're like, yeah, it's a two dimensional projection of what is really going on. Yes. Yeah. And then your feelings are like, but what? Yeah. Like. That's weird, and then, like you say, maybe they've already seen it explode, and we haven't yet. And, like, how crazy is that? And your brain is like, again, that is a two-dimensional projection yeah. effect. That is not weird. Not weird. <laughs> yeah. Not weird. But it is weird. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it is weird. So when you are talking before about, you know, the... Um, you talked about how sort of the distribution of stars and such, like, in the universe as we understand it i remember we talked about i don't know that was a stellar classification episode but i remember us talking or you saying about we have difficulty seeing certain types of stars yeah um and so then you know maybe there are like fifty thousand of these stars that we find it really difficult to discover but we've only seen one because it's difficult to find yeah. Or maybe there, there's only one because there's only one. Are neutron stars difficult to see? Yeah, they don't really emit much light um, because, you know, because of what they are, mm. um, the remains of a star, there's no longer any, you know, fusion going on. Right, yeah. Um so they don't there's not much light being emitted which makes them quite difficult to find because most things in the universe we find by looking at light yes. so if there isn't much light you're kind of in trouble really that being said um pulsars okay which are a type of neutron star uh some neutron stars that are much more easy to find by comparison to other ones also, you can find neutron stars if they're, you know, part of a binary system. So if there's two stars, right, okay. it can kind of help you to see the neutron star. Is that in a similar way to the exoplanets thing of, like, it can either go past it or alter its, um, like, do sort of weird gravitational lensy things, all of that? Yeah, It's just really dense and... All of that. It's easier to see if there is another object... Um, that emits light because either that object is influenced in some way, mm. whether that's, you know, it's gravity or um, the, like you say, um, like a, it's light being suddenly you're getting a dip in the light mm. and you think, oh, why has it gone dark all of a sudden? I guess it's more difficult when it's, um, <laughs> when it's like 20 kilometres across uh, going in front of a star that's maybe not blocking so much light yeah uh, it's going to be dependent on your on the other star in the system for sure because if you think about it it's it's all it's about the area relative to the star mm. so if you have quite a big star mm. and your neutron star is tiny obviously then it's not blocking that much light if you got a much smaller star mm. it might be noticeable depending or like you say um, kind of watching for a, a wobble or whatever. Okay. Um, yes. Yes, I remember the watch for the wobble one. That one was. Yeah. That's fine. Also, I don't. I don't know if it specifically works for neutron stars, but sometimes, in a kind of opposite way to 
transit method where something goes in front of something and makes it look darker. Mm-hmm. You know, you can also sometimes have your object being illuminated. Right, okay. Um, so, like, light that would otherwise not be heading towards us, the observer, gets bounced off yeah, the celestial body. That can also be a way of finding objects and, I don't know, may very well work for neutron stars in some way, potentially. Mm. So pulsars, I do, I'm vaguely aware of, I didn't know that they were neutron stars, but they pulse, right? That's their thing. Yeah. So That's where they get their name from. They're neutron stars that have very, very strong magnetic fields. Okay. And because of this, they emit, you know, big beams of light out of the poles, the magnetic poles. Magnetic poles, okay. Of the star. So you get two kind of jets, one out of the North Pole and one out of the South Pole. Nice. And if you are, you know, lucky that you're able to see one of the poles, Mm. then you will see it flashing. Like a kind of lighthouse. Is that... That's because... The pole isn't always directly towards us. Yeah, it's, exactly. The it's moving. Magnetic pole is not the same as the rotational pole. It's off it a bit, at least. So then, when it goes round, it round the rotational axis, the pole goes sort of like you say, like a lighthouse. It goes. You're not fo- looking directly fo- into where the where the light is coming from. You're looking in at an angle. So that means that the beam of light moves relative to you. Yes. Sometimes you don't see it and sometimes you do see it. And it creates a lighthouse kind of effect yeah. where you see this beam flashing, you know, mm. every so often. And every so often is, in fact, very frequently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Um because it's dependent on the rotation of the star, right? And these stars rotate really, really, really quickly. And that's because they've shrunk down and we're conserving angular momentum, yeah. which is seems to be the first rule of everything astronomy. Oh, yes. Um, yes, it is. Okay. So, yeah, you see these very rapid pulses. So it's less like wom, wom, and more like... Yeah, think like milliseconds. Right, OK. I don't think I can do milliseconds. No, I don't think you can. Yeah. So why are they? Why are they magnetic then? If they're just like well, I guess you said they weren't just neutrons. Is that the answer? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they are, they are mostly neutrons, but they have that shell that we talked about, mm. where neutrons alone can't exist they can't they can't be stable Mm. so you still have the protons and the electrons yeah and charged particles the the well the acceleration or yeah which can also include changing direction as it were the the movement yes of of charged particles generates an electric field yes um because electric and magnetic fields are Related. I was going to say inextricably, but that's um, not really true, is it? <laughs> I, I just mind-bogglingly 
uh, related to each other. Mm. Yeah. I just ask because neutrons are neutral, kind of by their name. <laughs> yes. Um, so. so neutrons alone aren't going to make you a magnetic field. Yeah. But like you say, they they have some charged particles that are mm. neutral. But, you know, why their magnetic fields are as strong as they are, we don't know. Okay. They have incredibly strong magnetic fields. Like, crazily strong. The Earth and one's pretty piddly. Isn't it? Yes. It? It's tiny. I remember, because I've done stuff with basically MRI machines, but not MRI machines in chemistry, and it's like the magnetic field strength of this instrument is far greater than the magnetic field strength of the Earth. I know, whenever just I see like... that, I'm like, yes. I feel like that's meant to be impressive. But I just like... find it crazy. Like, it's an entire planet. I know that's not how it works, but... And again, it's, just... it's the it's the mind feelings thing, right? The yeah. thoughts feelings thing. And um, I feel like that's why they always give that example, because they know that it plays to people's feelings. Yeah. But every time I see it, my mind's like, yes, because the Earth doesn't really have a strong magnetic field at all. Is that supposed to impress me? <laughs> we have something that's stronger than a weak thing. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, fair yeah. So. Um, but yeah, we don't know why they're so strong. Um, there have been suggestions that it could be to do with flux conservation. So, sounds like a medical thing. Um, magnetic flux is like the amount of magnetic field, kind of. Okay. That that you have, and if you think of the star before it had a certain amount of magnetic field and then you you know if you think of like drawing the magnetic field as lines yeah okay um like bar magnet and you've got quite a large star you've got quite a large circle and you've drawn some lines in it and then oh your your star has collapsed it's turned into a neutron star so now your circle has got smaller mm. but all of those lines of magnetic field have to stay within your star Right. So suddenly all of those lines are a now closer, closer together. to each other. And that right. means that your magnetic field is stronger. Right, because the closeness of fields is kind of like the magnetic field strength. Yeah. Right. If you've got a weak one, you draw like one line. If you've got a strong one, you draw 50 lines. Yeah. Kind of like a gradient, I guess. Yeah, it's exactly the same as what you're used, well, hopefully used to see on maps. If you think of like OS maps. and Ordnance they draw survey. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if uh, is that just a British is that the I British name for the thing I don't know in America do they have the National Geographic Society or something I don't know I don't know I don't know hopefully our listeners will tell us yeah um but yeah if you think of maps of of the geography and mm. geology of your local area mm. they always will draw contours yeah. on mountains and or any good map will anyway and if you have lots of lines you know your your contours are very close together and that means you're gonna have to climb really hard there because that's steep whereas if the if they're further apart from each other then you're thinking great this is a nice easy hill to climb up it's it's 
It's a shallow hill, it's not a steep hill. Mm. It's the same idea, but for a magnetic field. I remember having weird difficulties with the concept of gradients on like, those kind of contours uh, like in high school. I don't really know why. Just just didn't like it as a concept. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't mesh with my brain. Oh, dear. Uh, so that's pulsars. Uh, you said that was a type of type of neutron star. Yes. Pulsing. So are there any other special kinds? Or can we just say neutron stars and pulsars? Um, yeah, you can get magnetars, which are neutron stars that have extremely, extremely, extremely strong magnetic fields. So this is strong for something with a strong magnetic field. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we're going to call it a magnetar because magnets. Sounds like a Pokemon. It probably is a Pokemon. Or it should be by now. What's the round ball thing with the the traditional curvy magnets sticking outside? Is that a magnetar? No, that's, that's Mag- the name of it. I was going to say magneton. Anyway, magnetars have very strong, like crazy strong magnetic fields. And therefore they emit a lot of light and it's very high energy okay um so lots of x-rays and gamma rays with magnetars okay um but weirdly they have slower rotation i mean still fast right but slower than slower than say pulsars or normal neutron stars which i find pretty weird Right, yeah. Personally, I don't... I find that weird. And, yeah, we found about 30, so not very many of them. Right, so we... I guess we don't know a huge amount about them, then, to some extent. Yeah, not really. I I feel like that can be said about neutron stars in general. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I guess yes, there's... even less so about a specific branch of them. Yeah, if it's difficult to find them in the first place, but then maybe not so much with pulsars... Yeah. So is it like you've got a neutron star and it's either a pulsar or a magnetar, or is it like you've got a... No, you can also get magnetar pulsar. <laughs> right, okay, <laughs> great. But they're very rare, or at least they are in our data set right now. Right, okay, as far as we know. Um... Yeah, I think, I, I don't know, because this is not my like expertise, but Hmm. I've always kind of felt like this whole area is a bit of a minefield. Right. I feel it sounds a lot you know, like it's coming down to like, try to put things into boxes and we're not. Yeah. Again, it feels I feel like that. It feels like a lot of a lot of it is is like that is us trying to understand with limited mm. limited information to go by, really. Mm. And therefore trying to box things and classify the things to understand. Um, and I do wonder, in the future, are we going to look back and be like, these boxes that we made made sense at the time, but they don't really make sense now. And yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, I appreciate it's not your your field, but you know, when you say that like, magnetars are slower than other things, but we've only, we only know about 30 of them. It almost feels like you could say, oh, well, they've got a really strong magnetic field, therefore 
they're slow or they're slow so they don't so they make a really strong magnetic field and then you could imagine a sort of well if it's like above like this magnetic field strength it becomes a magnetar and therefore it's slow do you know what i mean like you could start having arbitrary cutoff points to this to, is a magnetar or not boxes, yeah. and then you find out apart from that one which crosses the threshold but is actually not a magnetar because it doesn't do some of the things that we wanted to or whatever yeah at which point you need to start questioning if your boxes are the most sensible way of doing things or not yeah uh, i do wonder in the future how many of these terms will end up outdated because they've had to be replaced or merged or yeah. or something um or we discover a super magnetar i mean you know it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a sensible way of classifying things it's just that it's not always you know you can classify things however you want and mm. something that fits one purpose doesn't necessarily fit other purposes yeah and, and the purpose you have originally can be irrelevant Yes, exactly. How long later? Um, and then you need somebody like Annie Jump Cannon to come along and, and sort, you sort, out. <laughs> sort you out. It's just, it feels a lot that we don't understand yet, which is exciting. Mm. Um, but it does make some things difficult. Yeah, I guess we're not really that used to... I feel like a, somebody that doesn't really know that much of, or really anything about black holes, for instance, kind of get the impression that, you know, there are people with theories and such like but you don't really know what's going on inside the black hole right that's kind of the point because nothing comes out mm -hmm. no information comes out so it's hard to understand what's going on inside it because we have no idea and like the idea of something like a super dense amount of neutrons is so removed from anything that we could ever possibly engage with or study on Earth. Yeah. Presumably, I mean, you were saying the sun is weird enough, right? Like with the coronal heating yeah. problem that we talked about in our sun episodes. Um, and that's just there. It's very close and we don't understand what's going on. And this is then like an order of magnitude of strangeness. Different. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it starts to cross fields a lot when you start to do this kind of research, you know. Right, yeah. It's no longer... And that's something I love about astrophysics, personally, mm. is that it's taking science and applying it to a, a weird situation. Mm. And, and by weird, I just mean something that, you know, it's, it's removed from our experiences, really. Because we can never really go to any of these things. Like, okay, if you study the moon, right, mm. there is a chance that you could go to the moon, right? Okay. If you study Mars, then I suppose there is a chance that you might be able to go to Mars. Yeah. Beyond that, that ain't happening. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're never going to be going to the environment that you study. And neither is anyone else. Or at least not during your lifetime. Yeah. And in some cases, never ever yeah. going to that environment. And so you end up, you know, you use a lot of science. You have to 
obviously the science that you use is in your work life is very niche because it's a very specific situation but you kind of you know you might be a chemist you might be a mathematician you might be you know a quantum physicist all of those skills and all of those aspects of science are important mm. because a lot of the environments that you work on are so removed from what you would ever experience yeah that you really need to have like quite weird knowledge sometimes yeah or at least a collaborator that has that weird knowledge you know it's just interesting because a lot of stuff that i learned in chemistry or in like you know atomic physics or something or nuclear physics or particle physics it comes back because you have to understand an environment that like you say is very very different mm. you know yeah until we understood how protons could turn into neutrons and vice versa yeah being able to describe a neutron star was impossible well, we didn't, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I'm aware that in this case, we were lucky that our knowledge followed chronologically. <laughs> yes. But that's not always the case. Yeah, and, you know, like there would be a point where we didn't know that neutrons existed, so how could we know about neutron, like stars made of neutrons? Mm-hmm. Or stellar objects. Because, you know, even even take that, where in your everyday life, do you experience something made only of neutrons? So how would you know that a neutron existed? Yeah. You know? Um, it took long enough for atoms to be accepted in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. And we can now see them, so, you know. How times have changed. How times have changed. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a bit like sci-fi in reverse, because I feel like you've always said to me, with sci-fi, um, or good sci-fi, as you put it, is somebody's had an idea of, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if um, there was a planet, but it had a stellar core in its middle? I've got literally no idea. But, you know what I mean? Like, that somebody mm-hmm. comes up with some kind of thing, some sort of science thought, and then makes a plot about it, as it were. Mm-hmm. Or some kind of world situation. And I guess in this case, it's like you're given this, like, weird thing and then you've got to sort of find the underlying science from it. Do you know what I mean? That would then generate that weird world. Yeah, which feels like that kind of used to be how astronomy worked. You would look into the universe and you would find a weird exotic object. Mm. And of course it was exotic, because it wasn't a... <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and then you would... Explain it in some way, whereas now <laughs> that's not really the case so much. In, in astro, mm. it's not. Um, it's not so much finding particular objects and or particular types of object. It still happens because yeah. there are always going to be interesting objects out there. Yeah, but um, not so much of a thing. As it used to be, I suppose. Yeah, I guess we kind of go, oh, it's like this kind of star, but it's weird. 
as opposed to like it is an unknown celestial object kind of thing. Is that kind of what you mean? I guess I just mean that it's how we extract information about the universe has changed. Right. And so it used to be that we would look up and see something and it would be interesting. We would learn Mm. about the universe through that object. Right, yes. And now, okay, that still happens sometimes. You find a particularly weird, you know, star or type of object. But most of the time, a lot of information about the universe is now gathered, understood, studied, analysed by looking at lots of objects. Yes. And then asking what can we what information can we extract about the universe from this. Yeah. And then Which you get a very different way of doing science. You get the odd story now and again that's like JWST has now seen something which completely changes um astronomers' views of everything because we mm, used yeah. to think that it could only go up to ten, but it turns out we saw something that went up to eleven. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's like that's not quite the same as like didn't know that could exist. Yes. Um, so, um, do they ever have planets? You, you've mentioned, yeah. like, potential binary systems. Is that quite common? or? Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon for stars to have binaries. Um, and it's no different for neutron stars, because they come from stars. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you can, you can have binaries. You can have binaries of neutron stars. Okay, two two stars that have died. Um, yeah, so that's that's a thing. Okay. Um, Einstein predicted that such an event would make gravitational waves. Lo and behold, they did. They did. That's <laughs> yeah. that's why you can't you can't touch Einstein. He's he's a prophet of science. Except he maybe stole most of his work from his wife. Yeah, so the first evidence um, of them comes or came from 1974. Okay. And some scientists were looking at some neutron stars in a binary. Mm. And they were looking at their x-rays that emitted. And they found that the intensity of x-rays was decreasing so it was experiencing some sort of energy loss because there was less energy coming as x-rays than than there should have been right okay and that was then Um, this must be gravitational waves happening yeah okay um so I it's thought... like didn't see like gravitational waves. Right. They didn't like look and yes. go, oh, I can see a gravitational wave. Because I was going to say, I thought that LIGO was like the first time that there was evidence of gravitational waves. But that was the first time we saw Yeah, so waves. LIGO gave us the first direct evidence um, 41 years later. Jeez. Okay. Well, I guess that also makes um, sense because somebody's had to write the, the, what you call it, They've had to submit a proposal yeah. saying we'd like a really big, like, in fact, isn't mm-hmm. LIGO like two different places or something? Yeah. And, you know, and we're just going to have it on all the time in the hope that we pick up a gravitational yeah. wave. 
And that makes a lot more sense if they already kind of know that it happens. Also, I guess they can write, Einstein said so, and they're probably going to get some fun there. Right, yeah. Let's be Fair. honest. I'm not saying that that's, like, legit, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> it probably holds some weight. There's somebody out honest. there that wrote the proposal and was like... Damn. Like, They'll listen to this I'm... podcast and they're like, oh, I should have said Einstein said so. <laughs> we could have got that... 41 years early. Although they're like, that's exactly what I said <laughs> when I put that in. They gave me the money. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. There's an art to writing so, proposals, yeah. isn't there? <laughs> there is. Yes, that is true. Okay. Um, so, yes, LIGO observed gravitational waves directly the right. first time. So, LIGO got the Nobel Prize relatively recently. 2017. But these other people... They'd already discovered it, as it were. Did they get a Nobel Prize? In 1994. Okay. Yeah, I so, mean, uh, what, they did, I guess, discover it. Right, yeah. Um, I guess also But so did first... Einstein, in a way, when he predicted it. He and he only got two Nobel Prizes. mathematically. <laughs> you know, like, discoveries aren't... They aren't the kind of binary that we make them out to be. Nice. You know, but, there are steps yeah. involved in making discoveries. Higgs got a Nobel Prize for the yes, Higgs did, yeah. did also people discovering the Higgs boson, did mm, they also yes, share? Yes, I think it went to CERN, didn't it? Classic. Um, Massive team of international scientists and one guy shared equally. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It was a long time ago. We were young undergrads ago. at the time. Yeah. Sitting in the physics cafe. Yeah. When the news came out. Weird how that's one of the things that I remember in life. Because, you know, I don't... I I was interested. Mm. You know, and I was very interested in particle physics when I was a teenager, before I went to university. Um, so I was interested but I don't feel that by the time of the Nobel Prize um, Peter Higgs winning the Nobel Prize really was like that significant a life event for me <laughs> Yes. and yet somehow, somehow it's one of those weird things that I can remember where I was I can remember sitting there yeah. when the news came out you know yeah. um, it's like when you I'm like why is that something I can remember that's really bizarre it's generally like um you know, I can remember where I was when Nelson Mandela died. Yeah. Or, I guess, when he, his death was announced. Yes. Um, Margaret Thatcher, I remember that one. I don't remember that one. I remember that one. Uh, loads of other Terry Pratchett, leaders. I remember Terry oh, Pratchett. Yeah. 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 Oh, Terry, R.I.P. You live on in our hearts. But in this case, it's Peter Higgs actually not dying, but yeah, <laughs> getting dying. a Nobel Prize. So pretty good. It was, a, yeah. It's a. It's <laughs> You've made it onto the list of events that are memorable, but are not it's, tragic. I guess because often it's something that's shocking in some way. Yes, um, that's true. You know, uh, but I didn't feel that was particularly shocking either. So I don't know why. I don't know. Just, just if anything, it felt predictable, really. Well, he predicted it. Well, not the Nobel Prize, <laughs> but I guess. But yeah, strange times. Strange times. 
So yes, they can they can be binaries of neutron stars. Um, so can they also have planets? They can. Yeah. Planets. You're gonna like this one. Okay. There's one one neutron star. Okay. It's got three exoplanets that we know of. It's not too shoddy. Yeah, they've all got names. Of course they do. Yeah. Is it is it X four seven? And I was gonna say, and it's not a number plate. Oh, nice. Yeah. The first one's called Drauga. Like in Skyrim. <laughs> like in Skyrim. Or Norse mythology. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> the second one's called Poltergeist. Okay, interesting. I'm seeing a theme. Yep. Uh, which I think is the most theme. famous one of the lot. And it's definitely the one that I remember. Although I couldn't tell you why. I don't know what's special about Poltergeist. Um, or rather, I don't know what's particularly special about Poltergeist. Mm. The third one's called Phobital. I've got no idea what that... I'm going to guess I that's I don't know some, what that means. i going to guess yeah. a Greek god. Yeah, it's but. got Phobos vibes. Mm. But it's obviously not Phobos, so... That's, uh, yeah, the moon um, of... One of the moons of Mars, which is... Fear? Is it? Like a phobia? Mm. Is it fear and... No, it's not Deimos. panic. Yeah, what's Deimos? Fear and loathing. <laughs> Pan- yeah. I think it is, but I don't know. I wouldn't swear to it. My fair. Greek. Yes. Yeah. It's all Greek. Subpar. <laughs> all Greek to me. Um, but yeah, Draga is the smallest exoplanet that's ever been discovered. Mm. Okay. Okay. That's a... Uh... Well, next time you play Skyrim. <laughs> Just think of that tiny little exoplanet out there. Jeez. Yeah, imagine being an exoplanet around there. I didn't... Because presumably you're there before it goes supernova. Presumably. Because uh... you could maybe fall into it or something. Yeah, fried. Jeez. Oh, yeah. But even, you know, even ignoring the fact that you've had to live through a supernova. Mm, which is not the greatest event to live through, you wouldn't have thought, or not one that you would live through, I Not guess. ideal, not ideal. Um, you've still got really high magnetic field strengths around your neutron star. Right, yeah. And lots of radiation as well. Yeah, so not so really... So you're still getting bombarded um, with radiation. Ideal. If you're a planet, or indeed another star. Okay, yeah. Um. So, yeah, you're not going to have an atmosphere if you're a planet. But again, you probably would have lost that when it went supernova anyway. Sure. So maybe you're not too worried about that. Maybe maybe you're like, well, it couldn't get any worse. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so we, we're not moved. I'm mean, not sure why we'd want to, but we're not going to move to it. Do an exoplanet around... Probably not uh, to drag or poltergeist or phobotol uh, anytime soon. No. Um, speaking of stellar objects, if you had been a happy little star with a with a 10 to 25 solar mass neighbour in your binary... Yeah, and you're getting along just fine. You're getting along just fine, then for some reason it goes absolutely berserk, it goes supernova on you. Oh, right, yeah, midlife crisis. You're probably going end to of life crisis. end up as a stellar object because yeah. you're probably going to have a lot of yourself. Oh, ripped off you. Ripped off as Jeez. it goes supernova. 
And so you might not be a star by the end of it. Jeez. Um, what do you, is that then? You're like a a brown dwarf, or are you like a are you a planet? Are who you... knows? You're you're a stellar remnant. You just. But who knows exactly how? Mm. Uh, and again, you know the the magnetic fields and radiation of a neutron star are also gonna rip bits off the other star in the binary as well, even if it has survived to some extent the supernova. Mm. So not ideal places to live. Not ideal. Well. So um when did we find out about neutron stars existing? Is that like uh well, the first neutron stars detected were pulsars. Because they're because pulsing. Because they're easier so to see. Got you. By? Uh, Jocelyn, Jocelyn Bell. Yes, indeed. Dame Jocelyn Bernal Bell. Oh, sorry, Dame. She's a Dame now. Dame. Like Helen Mirren and other people that are Dames. Judy Dench. I've run out of Dames. company, the three there. Kelly Holmes? I... Is she a sports person? Yeah, didn't she run? I was going to guess runner, but I didn't want to show up my lack of sports knowledge. <laughs> yeah, sports. So. I'm not going to win the sports round, did they? No. You do surprisingly good at it. I don't know how, because <laughs> sports aren't your thing. You, generally, you kick a ball. Not in athletics most of the time, but mm. a lot of other ones involve that. So yes, uh, Jocelyn Bell. You've seen Jocelyn Bell. I have, yes. Yes. She said hi to me. It was like, she just like walked on the street. She was like, hi, hi. <laughs> no, I went to a talk that actually is given. Took the, at the time, baby. Mm. Yeah, so they've, they've seen her too. Did you do that it's thing? Like, I'm like, kiss my baby. <laughs> No, I didn't. <laughs> I don't know why people do that. That's so weird. It is so weird on so many levels. <laughs> no, I just... Yeah. Yeah, it was good. I'd definitely go to other talks by her. And, you know, meet her. If I got the opportunity to meet her, yeah, I definitely would. Very, very interesting person. Um... Has a lot of cool stuff to say about lots of things, really, not just physics, but lots of cool stuff to say about physics. Hmm. And very, um, a very important activist as well for making physics more, you know, diverse and helping people into physics careers that hmm. maybe wouldn't be encouraged to or wouldn't be able to otherwise. So very important work that we should all be really grateful for as well. But she's had, you know, she's done a great deal of good for the world in many ways. She hasn't always had um, the easiest life. <laughs> okay. And she's quite famous for... Not getting a Nobel Prize. Exactly, yes. I also have not got a Nobel Prize. Yeah, but you haven't done a thing worthy of getting a Nobel Prize. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm also not famous for not getting a Nobel Prize. <laughs> I'm just not famous for getting a Nobel Prize. Whereas she is famous for not getting a Nobel Prize. Right. 
Yes. Her, at the time, PhD supervisor. He gets... Yes. I, assume I was debating whether or not I should give give his name for, you know... Well, people can look it up, so... I know, but I'm like, do I really want to add him into the history books? I'd, do you know what I mean? Okay, did, did, he, did he do a bad thing? Or not? Yeah, he took the credit for it. Okay. And she's always been very... Um, I don't know if graceful is the right word, but, you know... She has commented before, like, oh, I was only a PhD student, basically, and Nobel Prizes shouldn't go to PhD students, you know. Very... I don't know what the word is. Self-something. Yes. Uh, what's the word? Sort of humble, I guess? Yeah, I suppose. Anyway, so, you know, it's right that he got it, but it's not because she did the work. She made the discovery. She should have got the Nobel Prize. And she didn't. He he got the Nobel Prize in 1974 for the work that she did in 1967. Right. And it creates a lot of emotion for a lot of people, I think, mm. within astrophysics and outside of astrophysics, people who care about science, whatever. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of, you know, bias, lots of racism and sexism and everything that goes on within science anyway, but also very much within the Nobel Prize um, establishment, if you like. And this, you know, is another another case of that, because... Yeah, because there's the... If she was um, a man, would she have got the Nobel Prize? Obviously, you know, when it comes to very specific events, it's like climate change, right? Like, you can't look at a specific event and say that was caused by climate change. Yes. A lot of the time, you can't look at a specific event and say that specific event was definitely caused by sexism. You sometimes can. Yeah. But, you know, you can't always do that, but... um, It's not really necessarily just about specific events. It's about the culture and it's about uh, yeah. the situation as a whole. You can never prove that an individual event is, or almost never, I guess, uh, or generally, especially as they don't generally have a record written down somewhere. Yeah, that because finds most of the time people haven't written down, we will not give this Nobel Prize to Jocelyn Bell because she is a woman. Yeah, so um, you can't be like... They might have said it. This event but not was it down. sexist, but you can look at the trend and be like, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yes. And, you know, she experienced a lot of sexism throughout her career. And unfortunately, it's still a thing that mm. happens today in science, in astrophysics. Some branches more than others, um, but it's still rife and it's definitely still rife within the Nobel Prize establishment I mean there was the Nobel Prize for the solution of the structure of DNA goes to Watson and Crick and somebody else I think and people mentioned that one because because they happened to find someone's notebook because they just (laughs) happened to fall into yeah um very dodgy thing also one of them i can't remember which one but one of them is very dodgy anyway and sort of eugenics-y um don't come for me with lawyers but um (laughs) 
But uh, anyway. Yes, there's a lot of ethical things. But there's ethical things there anyway. But then Rosalind Franklin. She doesn't get a Nobel Prize, but she's dead at the time that they get the Nobel Prize. Mm -hmm. And she's done all the crystallography, which leads to the solving the structure. She's basically done the structure. In that case, is. well, I think it's questionable that you should only give the Nobel Prize out to people who are alive. However, that is the that is the rule. Yeah. And so the issue is not so much that she didn't get the Nobel Prize, because like you say, unfortunately, she wasn't alive anymore. Yeah. The issue is that the history books... Yes. Then written ...have written down. her out of it... Yeah. Um, ...incorrectly, have written them into it incorrectly, yeah. and that this idea perpetuates within society. I saw... And I absolutely kid you not, this year on International Women's Day, Mm. I saw multiple, I think it was maybe two, but it might have been three, I wouldn't swear, different institutions talking about, because they weren't, you know, specifically um, talking about International Women's Day, but they were talking about Watson and Crick discovering DNA. Yeah. On International Women's Day. Nice. I mean, you can imagine the responses mm. to that because the issue is that it perpetuates. Yeah. It has since been disproven that they, you know, did all of this work, yeah. that they found all of this. And um, and yet it's still being trying to be rewritten into the history books by people. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. So yes, I think probably if you if you mention you know pulsars, maybe not neutron stars, because maybe not everyone thinks of them as the same thing. Mm. But I think if you mention pulsars to a lot of people and you ask them, you know, what they are or what what else they think of, they might not be able to answer very much about them. They might not even be able to tell you what they are. Mm. But a lot of people could. Could relate pulsars to Jocelyn Bell. Which I think is a pretty good um, um, which, state yeah. to be in as, a, as an individual. It's worked out better yeah. um, than for a lot of other scientists in a similar situation to her. Yeah. Um, also, I just remembered why I have heard of pulsars. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's in... So, I guess it's because of the rotation rate, right? They're, like, they're regular. Yeah. Right? It's like, when you say it's, like, how many times a second, it's like, that's the thing, right? Because it's not stuff about... It's not even in sci-fi, isn't it? In Voyager, it's like, haven't they got written on the plaque Mm -hmm. that we've sent out into space to say, this is where Earth is. It's, like, related to the positions of pulsars because it's like aliens would be like oh well that frequency matches this particular star so it must be there and that's like the only way that we know of really to have like a sort of landmarks in space as it were yeah we can position things um, like you say they're they're little kind of signals little directional signs if you like reference points yeah um because they're regular and be unique compared to each other in a, in a way, you know, dependent mm. on their rotation rate and and how they pulse. Um, and they're kind of constant, you know. 
Yes. They're not like other things where events are, you know, kind of come and go or, yeah, or like, whatever. Like you were talking about the activity cycle of the sun before in the mm-hmm. sun episodes. Um, yeah, it's like it pulses and it keeps pulsing. Yeah. As opposed to it pulses for this period, this this frequency, and then it slows down and then it speeds up. It's like it's always the same. Yeah. That's like, then we're back to ma- mapping again. Talk about yeah, mapping contours, out, mapping um, out the space maps, the universe, or at least the local space with the pulsars. Nice. Thanks, Justin Bell. Yeah. So that just about wraps things up for this episode. Please, can we encourage you to subscribe to Through the Telescope wherever you find your podcasts, and, if you like, you can leave us a nice positive review as well. It really helps the show, and it makes it easier for more people to find us. Feel free to send us any comments, questions, or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes. Or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod, and you can contact us by email at Through the Telescope Podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye. Bye.